0: Amen. Ephesians chapter number six, beginning in verse number 10, what we're looking at is a continuation of the armor of God, the armor of God that is available to everybody. If you're a child of God, the armor of God is available unto you. If you're a child of God, the battle comes to you. Amen. You don't have to look for it. It'll come to you if you're a child of God. Mark chapter 4, Jesus likened the word of God as unto seed, and he said that the devil comes for the word's sake to try to take it away, to take it out of your heart. The enemy comes because of what God has spoken into your life. If you've received any truth from God's word, if you've received any revelation that Jesus died for your sins on the cross and he rose from the grave on the third day and that all that is needed to bring you into a right standing relationship with god was done at the cross if you've received any of that the devil is after that word and so one of the important things that we need to remember as we go through this message is that the enemy is on the prowl the devil, the bible says that the devil is walking about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour amen that doesn't sound like fun amen doesn't sound like fun i think all of us have been a little bit on the it, we might not have been devoured but we've been gnawed on a little bit amen and so it's important for us to Wear the armor of God. It's important for us to wear the armor of God because the battle is not gonna stop till the day we get called home. Amen? Amen. Some glad morning, I'm gonna fly away, right? But until that day, until that day, we need to wear the armor of God. If we neglect to wear the armor of God, is it God's fault? No. Be ours. Because God has made available unto us Everything that we need, amen, everything that we need has been made available to us through Jesus. And so we're going to get into this. Let's go ahead and get into verse number 10. Now, I'm not going to go through all of it, but I'm just going to uh, read verses 10, 11, and 12, and then we're going to skip down. Verse number 10 says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Now, the I got to say this because when we've been going through this, I believe this is one of the most important parts of this message that you can receive is that the battle belongs to the Lord. The battle doesn't belong to you. It's not about you and how big you are and how smart you are and all that you've done. But God calls you to be strong in him. In him is where the battle is. And if you'll be in him, you'll be all right. But once, how many of y'all know, once we get outside of him, that's when we get ourselves in trouble. Once we get outside of that path that God has for our lives, we do it to our own selves. Amen. And so, you know, God is amazing and he tells us not to be strong in yourself. Don't be strong in your pastor. Don't be strong in your church. Don't be strong in your denomination. Be strong in him. In him and him alone is where we will find strength. Nobody else is going to be there for you when the lights go out except for God. Amen? When the bottom falls out, he's still got you. Everybody else may walk away, but he never will. He said he'll never leave you and he'll never forsake you. Okay, so God calls us to be strong in him. The most important part, like I said, it, whenever you're talking about the battle, whenever you're talking about the armor of God, the most important thing that we can remember is that the battle belongs to the Lord. Amen? I see it's too many people, they're like, ah, oh, it's a battle. Blah, blah, blah. Look, everything that we talk about, when you're talking about the armor of God, it all comes down to this one fact. Are you resting in him or are you getting outside of him? Are you letting your guard down? Are you slacking? Amen? Amen. You'll hear me say this often, but, you know, if you're not front sliding, what are you doing? Backsliding. Backsliding. All right, you got it. So be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Now, and, and, and we're, we'll talk about what that means, what that consists of. How do you actually be strong in the Lord? Um, and, and we've gotten into that before, but we'll touch on it again in a little while. But let's continue into verse number 11. It says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. The wiles are his tricks. That's his tricks. You know, the devil doesn't come to you and say, hey, I'm here to steal your joy. He doesn't say, hey, I'm bringing a lie to you so I can take your peace. He doesn't say any of that. He tricks you, right? He gets you focused on stuff that's not true. Amen? Amen? Or he'll get you focused on things that aren't of God. He'll get you focused. I've seen people focused on in, in a church one time. I've seen somebody get so cotton picking mad because somebody changed the color of the carpet without asking their family. Or somebody painted the walls without telling somebody, right? I've seen people get so upset. What is that? That's the enemy. That is the enemy getting people riled up about things that do not matter. Doesn't matter what the carpet looks like. In fact, most churches in the world don't have carpet. It's only in America that we, you know, are in luxury. Come on now. A lot of churches don't have air conditioning, but churches in America, churches in America, we fight over the thermostat more than we fight over doctrine. It gets get somebody all riled up because the thermostat's on the wrong setting, but it don't matter if you lie to them about doctrine. How messed up are we? Amen? Amen? We don't hold the truth like we ought to. Amen. A lot of churches in the world don't have roofs, don't have air conditioning, and don't have carpet. But they're churches. They're churches. And sometimes I think they might be a little bit prettier than us. Okay, okay, so it says here to put on the whole armor of god that you can stand against the wiles of the devil again that's his tricks he's not going to come at you in the front door he's going to come in the back door he's not going to tell you what he's doing he's going to lie it it says that the the uh false teacher is is what is a wolf in sheep's clothes right because a a liar a false teacher is not going to come out and say hey i'm about to lead you in error I'm about to lead you in a ditch. I'm about to lead you into, you know, all the people that followed David Koresh. Right? He didn't tell them, hey, we're all going to die here. People that went to Jonestown or wherever, they didn't. It, what is it? The, the, the false teacher, the liar, the devil always comes with wiles, with tricks. So how do we know? How do we know whether we're getting tricked? You got to know the real thing. You got to know the truth. You've got to know the Word of God in context. You've got to hold the Word of God more than you hold the Word of man, more than you hold the Word of tradition, more than you hold anything else. You've got to hold the Word of God. And if you hold that, God will hold you. God will hold you right. God will keep you in the right direction. A lot of times we'll get messed up. I was saying earlier, the enemy's got these tricks. You change the color of the carpet, the color of the walls, somebody's going to get mad. Look, We all got flesh. We'll all get mad if somebody didn't ask our opinion, right? But what we've got to do is discern. Hey, the enemy is laying a trick for me. We've got to be able to discern. And that takes a walk in the spirit. The Holy Spirit is there to comfort us. The Holy Spirit is there to guide us and lead us into all truth. And he'll say, hey, this isn't worth getting mad about. This is none of your business. If it was your business, it would have been major business. We've got to remember it, God's in control. Say, I I don't don't know about that. Hey, the Lord's good. And so the, the wiles of the devil is those tricks. It says in verse number 12, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. So the battle is not against flesh and blood. It, this, this, is, this is the error, if you will. This is the error uh, of the holy wars. See, the holy wars was all about flesh and blood. Christians killing Muslims. Muslims killing Christians. All back and forth, back and forth. The battle is not flesh and blood. The battle is spiritual. Battle is spiritual. We're supposed to be waging war spiritually. Amen? Spiritually. And so, we've got to remember that, and I'll throw my favorite, one of my favorite quotes from Leonard Ravenhill in there before we move on, and that is this, if you're fighting, if, if your enemy has a social security number, you've picked the wrong enemy, because spe- an evil spirit doesn't have a social security number, all right? It just means that that person is being manipulated by the devil, Okay, now let's skip down into our text this morning into verse number 16. Now, the word goes on, and he talks about the armor of God and standing and the breastplate of righteousness, the feet with peace. But look what it says in verse number 16. It says, above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all, somebody say all, All the fiery darts of the wicked. Now, the amazing thing about this verse is it says, above all, meaning that in all that we do, in all that we do, if we don't do this, everything else is for naught. If we don't do this, everything else is for naught. So, you know what? You could wear the prettiest, shiniest belt, you could have the prettiest, shiniest sword. You could have all this stuff going on, but if you're not willing to take up the shield, what are you? Well, we, we used to call it, we'd say it's a sitting duck. If you've never been duck hunting, you don't know what that means. A sitting duck's an easy target. It's a lot easier than a flying duck. Come on now, somebody. And if we're not taking up the shield of faith, we're a sitting duck. We're an easy target, right? Above all, above all, We've got to take up the shield of faith. So we're going to get into this this morning. What is the shield of faith? Because the shield of faith quenches all. Isn't that right? Does all mean all? All means all, all the time or some of the time. All means all, all the time. That's one of those words you don't have to look up in the Greek. Okay. So take unto you the whole armor of God. That's part of it. And this part right here is the shield of Of faith. Now, let me tell you this. When we're talking about faith, whenever we talk about faith, we're not talking about anything more than what God has said. The Bible says in Romans 10, verse 17, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So when God tells you to take up the shield of faith, he's talking about what? The word of God. Not only just the word of God, but the word of God received. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So there's there's the word of God, then there's the hearing and the receiving, and then faith comes. It's the believing of what God has said. Do you believe what God has said? Then faith will rise. If you will believe what God has said more than what you see with your eyes, faith will begin to grow in your life. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So when we trust what God has said is the final thing. It's the final authority. The buck stops with what God says. If we believe that and we receive what he says, faith will begin to grow in our life. You see, if if we think, right, I'm all alone, nobody cares, I'm all by myself, if we start going down that road, come on, But if we believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus said, if I leave, I will send another comforter and he will abide with you. If we believe it, then we know his abiding presence is in our lives all the time as believers. That I'll never go to a mountain, I'll never go through a valley without God going through it with me. Not only do I have his promise of the comforter abiding with me and in me, but he said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. You won't have to go through the fire on your own. You won't have to walk through the valley of the shadow of death on your own. I will be with you. That's the promise of his abiding presence that everything I face, I'm not facing it on my own. But what is, this, what is this fiery dart that we were looking at in this passage? What is this fiery dart from the wicked, it says? The fiery dart is doubt. The fiery dart is a lie. The fiery dart is anything to get you off of faith. So in this, in this instance, the enemy will always be telling you, right, that you're alone, God's not with you. God doesn't care. You're by yourself. Amen? In fact, what the enemy will do is get you to focus on the fact that nobody called you in three days. And nobody's written you a letter in seven years. And nobody's emailed you in a week. And nobody, nobody really cares. They might just say, hi, how are you doing? But they're just passing you by. Come on now you know what people may do that because sometimes let's just face the reality some people are sorry individuals some of us allow the enemy to use us some of us could care less about other people sometimes we get in situations where where we're around a lot of rotten apples but let me tell you something God's good and you can be like Joseph in Egypt. Though nobody else in the whole country serve your God, God will be with you and God will preserve you and God will lift you up at the right time. God said, God said, you will reap if you faint not. And in those times of hardships, those times of the dry season, that's when we've got to remember God's promises more than what we feel like we're going through. Amen? So one of, the things that, one of the things that I want to show you as we get into this message is that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. When we're talking about the shield of faith, lifting it up, we're talking about the Word of God in our lives. How many of you know that if you got the Word of God on your uh, coffee stand or you got the Word of God on your dining room table, that's great. And sometimes Bibles are pretty. They're good decorations. But if you don't have it in your heart, you really don't do too much. If you don't hide the word in your heart, it really don't do too much. The word of God is a lamp for your what? Feet and a light for your what? Path. But if you close it up and you don't put it in your heart, you're walking in the dark. So one of the things that I want to show you here is that this shield of faith is the word of God. The shield of faith is not only the word of God, but you and me believing it. You and me trusting it. We've, we're, sometimes we will get ourselves in situations that don't make sense. We'll get ourselves in situations where it feels like the bottom has fallen out, where it feels like the rug has been pulled out from under us. Sometimes we'll get ourselves in situations, right, that don't look right and they don't feel right. And it's not the way we want it to go. Say, I never wanted to get divorced. I never wanted to go through, I never wanted to attend the funeral of this loved one. I never wanted to tell my child goodbye. I never wanted to tell my, my sibling goodbye. I never wanted to do this. I never wanted to do that. And you know what? None of us want that. None of us want that. And in the heat of the moment, that's when the enemy will come in like a roaring lion seeking to devour you. Because at one time in your life, you dared to trust God. And in your weakest moments, that's when he's on the prowl. That's when you've got to take up that shield of faith and say, "I don't know why I'm going through this, but I'm going to trust God through it. I'm going to hold on to His unchanging hand. I'm going to trust what God said more than what I feel." Amen. Amen. The difference—the difference between a believer who a believer who takes the shield of faith and a believer who doesn't—is someone who trusts God. That's it. It is about trusting God. In the battle, trusting God when everything's going wrong, believing God's word more than what you're going through. Whenever Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego got thrown into the fiery furnace, how many of y'all know they actually had to go in it? How many of you know they actually had to go in it? But they trusted God in it. They trusted God in it. Daniel, when Daniel got thrown into the den of lions, He actually got put in the den of lions. That was probably not fun, hearing those lions roar. That was probably not fun, saying, I guess this is it. But God was with him in it. God was with him in it. And I want you to know, no matter what you're going through, God is with you in it. Hold on to his unchanging hand. Believe what he said more than you believe the report of the enemy. Believe the report of the Lord. Believe the word of the Lord. The word of God is true. And let every man be a liar. Believe God's word. Believe God's word. Let me show you something in Proverbs chapter 30. Proverbs chapter number 30. And we're going to move down to verse number five. Now, whenever we go over here to Proverbs chapter 30, this is one of the uh, most important verses I believe in the Bible for many reasons. One of them being, I believe God's word is true. Look what it says in verse number five. Every word of God. You know, I had you, I had you repeat all a while ago because all means all. Even in the Greek, it means all. And every means every, even in Hebrew. Because you know, this is Old Testament. It says every word of God is pure. He, how many of y'all know who the word of God is? How many of y'all know that the word of God became something in John 1 14 that says that the word of God, the word became flesh, amen, and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, amen, the word became flesh. Every word of God is pure. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in him. You know that if you'll trust what God's word says, he will be a shield unto you. You see, whenever the Bible tells us in Ephesians six, what Paul's talking about is above all, take up the shield of faith. You're not actually picking up a physical shield. You are believing what God said. You're trusting his word. If you'll trust his word, his pure word, if you'll trust his word, he will envelop you as a shield and nothing the enemy comes at you with will penetrate him. Nothing the enemy throws at you can get through him. It's often said that there's a bloodline, right? The blood of Jesus. The enemy cannot cross the bloodline. The Bible says greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. Amen? Amen. At the name of Jesus, demons flee. Come on, not at the name of anybody else, but at the name of Jesus. Come on now. Amen. There's a bloodline that the devil cannot cross. And if you'll get on the right side of that bloodline, you'll be all right. Amen. And the way you get behind that bloodline is by believing what he said. Trust lifts the shield believing what God said raises up the shield of faith between you and the enemy until we get to the point where we're believing and trusting God's word supreme, final, the authority until we get into that realm the shield has been lowered down and we're sitting ducks again but once we get into that place where we trust again he, he, the Bible says he is a shield he will stand between you and the devil. He will stand between you and every demon in hell. He will stand between you and every trial, tribulation that will ever come your way. He'll be with you in it. He will be a shield for you. He will be a shield for us. Amen? Amen. And it's when we believe. It's when we trust. This is where the shield comes in. It's a matter of trust. Now how many of you know that that's a lot easier said than done. Trusting is easier said than done. Trusting is one of those things that we like to say but not not everybody likes to do. What do I mean? Well, when when issues arise, when issues arise, so does flesh. Come on now. I'm preaching to somebody. When issues arise, so does your flesh. I wasn't expecting that, Bill. Guess God's not for me. I wasn't expecting that report from the doctor. What'd I do wrong this time? God's word's true for everybody else, but I guess not me. Come on now. It, it, it gets into this place of trust, and this is you and God. God. Forget everybody else. Don't worry about what they're doing and what they're believing and what God's doing in them. What about you? When the lights go out in your room, when you get the bad report, when you get the bad news, when you suffer affliction and loss and turmoil, when the enemy comes after you, do you trust God? Do you trust God? Some some of us, far too many of us, we get into the pity party. We get into the pity party. We're supposed to be holding on to God's hand. Let me show you something in First Timothy chapter number one that can happen to us. First Timothy chapter number one. One of the, one of the problems that we have. is we take things too lightly when it comes to faith. You know, there's. I used to minister in the prisons a lot, and I'm praying that God opens that door soon for us as a church this year. I used to minister in the prisons a lot, and one of the things that always messed with me is whenever people would describe jailhouse religions, how many of you know what I talk when I'm when I'm talking about when I say jailhouse religion. It's when somebody's in jail, they you know, they know they messed up. But yep, yeah, that's right. When they get up, they go right back to the same old beaten path. Jailhouse religion is crazy. Now, the the antithesis to jailhouse religion is transformation that comes through believing Jesus. But jailhouse religion is it's likened instead of repentant. it's just being sorry. How many of you know there's a difference between being sorry and repenting? Being sorry is when you get caught. You do wrong, right? See, we deal with this with, with you know, our children. When they, when they do something wrong, they're always sorry, but it's only when they change that you know that they've repented because repentance means change. Repentance means a turn and so jailhouse religion why am i talking about this because too many people too many people get a jailhouse religion mindset what is that when the bottom falls out i'll go to church but when things start smoothing out you never see them again you see it's not just jail we pick on prisoners it's not just it's not just it's not just literal prisoners you know there's emotional prisoners and some people, they can't get past their emotions. When their emotions are getting the best of them, you know what? They'll go in church. But when things start smoothing out, they, they on the lake fishing. Right? And then when the boat gets repoed, they right back in church. You know, you, know how many, you know how many times people will come to you and say, pray for me, I need a new job. Pray for me, I need a job. Pray for me, I need a job. And they're at church every time the doors are open. Pray for me, I need a job. Pray for And God blesses them with a the job. And you know what? You never see them again. Where are you at? Oh, I've just been working so much. I'm tired on the weekends. I just, you know. I heard one preacher say, you know, sometimes I thought about not praying for anybody to get a job. See here, that'd be all right, cause we don't take up an offering. But you know, other places you take up an offering, people better work. <laughs> Pass that bucket again. You know. But you know, the re- the reality is, the the reality is, it it comes into this place where we've got to trust God, Amen. whether we have a job or not. Amen. Amen? Because God's our provider, whether we have a job or not. I heard a preacher say one time, you know what? His church threatened to fire him. or his, Actually, his church threatened to cut his pay. If he didn't preach what they wanted him to preach. He said, you go and do what you got to do. I'm going to preach what I got to preach, and God will provide for my needs. He said, God will move somebody next door to me, and they'll bring me food to my family. But I've got to do what God called me to do. Amen. I got to do what God called me to do. But you know what? You've got to do the same thing. You've got to do what God called you to do. When you begin to hedge, when you begin to zip it, when when you begin to compromise, what are you doing? You're doing the same thing that preacher refused to do. God called you to be a light in a dark world. God called you to bring hope in your family's lives. Do you know that all of us have family members that need Jesus this morning? Amen. All of us have family members that are, that are in the throes of the devil. And you've got the answer they need. Yeah. And our problem is we compromise. And our problem is we, we try to tone it down. We, instead of giving them the real thing, how many of y'all know there's no substitute for the real thing? Amen. If you go to the restaurant and you ask for Coke, and they tell you how about Pepsi, you say, mm, "It's not the same. It's not the same. Amen. You want the real thing." Amen? Amen. And the problem with American Christianity is we're an aberration of what we should be. There, you know, there's, in politics they say there's there's uh, people in name only, like Republicans or Democrats in name only. I mean, most everybody in Congress is just up there because. They want to be a politician to get paid, right? Yeah. But you know that there are Christians in name only? Christians in name only. You know, uh, one of my preachers where I grew up at, they, they used to say, you know, just because you grow up in church doesn't mean you're a Christian. Just because you grow up in a godly home don't mean you're a Christian. You've got to believe God for yourself. You've got to come to the end of yourself for yourself and believe on God for yourself. You've got to believe that your sins were placed on Jesus on the cross. That if nobody else on earth believed God, he still would have had to go to the cross for your sins. You've got to believe that all the wrong that you've ever done, those things that would keep you out of heaven, you've got to believe that those things were put on him. And he did it for the joy set before him. He endured that cross. He despised the shame, but he loved you and me. And we've got to believe that ourselves. And not only that he died for our sins, but that he rose from the dead on that third glorious day, amen, on that first day of the week. He came out of that tomb alive, and the Bible says he's alive forevermore. He's the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. He was, he is, and he always will be. Amen? He is good, and we've got to believe on that Jesus ourselves. It's got to be a personal thing. Believing, that's where that trust rises up, isn't it? One of the problems that we see, though, is when we're, when we're lowering that shield. When we're lowering that shield. Let me show you something here. Did I tell you to go to 1 Timothy? Did I tell you what verse? 18. Go to verse number 18. 1 Timothy chapter 1, beginning in verse number 18. This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare. How many of y'all know that we started this out with spiritual warfare? How many of you know whenever Paul is talking to Timothy here, he's not telling him to get up a bow and an arrow? He's not not telling him to sharpen a, a physical sword. If he's charging us to put on the armor of God and it's spiritual, and he's telling us, The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God, right? Over and over and over we see the battle before us is not physical, it is spiritual. So we know, we know that when Paul is charging Timothy here, we know that he's talking about a spiritual warfare, right? A spiritual warfare. So he says he wants him to to believe these things that they might war a good warfare. Look at verse number 19. Holding what? Holding faith. Holding faith. How do you hold faith? Believe. Believe, that's right. You stand on the promises of God. Standing on the promises of God. When you stand on the promises of God, when you hold what he said, and you don't let it go Even when the lights go out, you say, but God, your word says that your word would be a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. And right now, everybody has turned their back on me. Everything I thought was up is down. Everything I thought was going right is going wrong. I cannot see right now, but I trust your word. I trust your word. Sometimes you get into those situations in life where you can't trust yourself. I don't know if you realize this, but Jeremiah says that, that your heart is deceitfully wicked. You have got to get to the point where you don't trust even your own self. You've got to get to the point where you trust God's word above your heart. Above your feelings Above your thoughts How many of you know that God's ways Are above our ways How are we going to tell God How it's supposed to be We've got to trust God Amen The hardest thing for us Is when we don't understand We want to understand everything But that's not how faith works Faith works against understanding. Faith works in conjunction with trust where we've got to join our faith to what God said and believe it even when we don't understand why we're going this way. Do you think Joseph understood why his brothers sold him into slavery? But did he doubt God? Do you think he understood when Potiphar's wife accused him of rape do you think he understood why he found himself in that dungeon? No, he didn't understand, but he trusted God in it. And I want you to learn from Joseph. I want you to learn from this man of God. I want you to learn that even when you don't understand, trust God. Don't trust a man. Don't trust a church. Don't trust a denomination. Don't trust what your pastor said 20 years ago. Trust God. Hold to the unchanging hand of the Almighty. So it says in verse number 19, holding faith and a good conscience, which some having put away concerning faith, have made shipwreck. What did they do? How many of you know what it's like to shipwreck your life? Come on now. How many of you know what it's like to shipwreck your life? What he's saying is some have put away concerning faith and they made shipwreck. What is that? That's when we stop trusting God and we begin what? Leaning on our own understanding again. Well, they just shouldn't have done it. They they shouldn't have done that to me. But God said, forgive them. Well, I know, but they shouldn't have done that. They know, they know, they know how I am. They know me, and they know they shouldn't have done that. But God said, forgive them. God said, love your enemies. God said, pray for your enemies. Yeah, but they know what they did. How many of you know it's different when they know what they did? It's one thing if somebody cuts you off in traffic and they weren't looking, but it's another thing when they're looking and they do it on purpose. They know what they did. Sometimes you get people at work and they can get under your skin, right? They know how to get under your skin. You get somebody in the home that knows how to get under your skin, you get in trouble. You got a test on your hands. And the Bible says, lean not on your own understanding. Your understanding says, if I hit them hard enough, they'll stop doing it. Your own understanding says, if I yell loud enough, they'll stop. Your own understanding says if I do it back, they won't do it again. But that's your understanding. That's my understanding. Our understanding is an eye for an eye. Our understanding is you hit me, I'll hit you back. But God's God's different. God said vengeance belongs to him. God said if you'll trust him, he'll defend you. That's different. That is leaning on God not on your own understanding. Trusting God. But too many of us have let go of faith and made shipwreck out of our lives. Too many of us have grabbed the reins of our own lives and run it right square into the ditch. Why? Because we did not take up the shield of faith. We let it down once you let down the shield of faith the fiery darts come let me tell you this this when, when you stop trusting God you let down that shield of faith there's no longer that barrier between you and the devil and the devil knows how to get to your buttons he knows what buttons to push in you so when you stop believing God you are a sitting duck When you stop trusting God, when you start leaning on your own understanding again, you are opening yourselves up to becoming deceived by the devil. And I'm going to tell you three ways that the enemy does this. Three ways the enemy does this. Why three? Well, John chapter 10, the Bible says that the enemy comes to do what? Steal, kill, kill. Destroy, that's three. So, the Lord gave me three. That's why. What is it? The enemy comes to, the, the three things, once your shield drops, these three things come under attack. God's plan for your life. God's plan for your life. God's purpose for your life. And the peace of God in your life. These three things will come under attack as soon as you begin to drop the shield of faith. Why? He comes to steal your peace. He comes to kill the purpose that God had for you. And he comes to destroy the plan that God had set for you. Too many of us have gotten derailed not because the enemy's greater, because the Bible says, greater is he that's in us, than he that's in the world. So if the enemy rises up against us, it's not because he's stronger. It's because we've let down the shield of faith. There's no longer a barrier between us and him. Look, let me tell you something. The battle's not between God and the devil. The battle is between you and the devil. God has no equal. Jesus created everything. Every angel was created by God. The devil is a fallen angel. Therefore, at one time, he was created, he fell. But he belongs to God. If God snapped his fingers and said, Stop existing, he would stop existing now. But God is using him for his own purposes. God is using him for his own purposes. What purpose is that? Refining the saints. Go read, go read Peter. The trial of your faith. The trial of your faith. God is refining you and me. Every moment of every day, we're being tried and tested. Every single one of us are going through something. Some of us, the, the heat is hotter than others. But just wait a day or two, it'll reverse. We're all going through something. Amen? We're all going through something. And the enemy will, will seek to steal your peace, kill your purpose, and destroy that plan because he's after you. He's your enemy. He's your enemy. Now, let's talk about this for just a second. What is this plan? The plan of God. You know, the enemy wants to get you off course. You know, the enemy wants to get you off course so that you'll shipwreck your faith. He wants you to follow, in other words, rabbit trails. What does that mean? He wants you to focus on anything other than the truth. He'll get you to focus on who started what and who did what and when did they do it and not the word of God. You'll be more focused on things that do not matter. Hey, you know what? I I enjoy politics, but I'll tell you this. If you listen to politics on talk radio, it'll steal your joy. Tell you right now, if all you watch is Fox News or CNN or MSNBC or whatever, if you watch that kind of stuff, guess what? You're not going to have no peace. Why? Because the enemy has you distracted. The Bible says, guard your heart. If you're not guarding what comes into your heart, you know what's going to come out? It says out of, the, out of your heart is the issues of life. You know, if you don't guard your heart and you allow that stuff in, that's what's going to be that comes out. It, you're, you're, a, you're an in and an out kind of a person. And what you allow to come into your heart. And how many of you know, if it comes in your eyes, it's going to come in your heart. Well, don't tell me what kind of movies to watch, Pastor. I'm not telling you what movies to watch. The Holy Ghost will. It's your fault if you don't listen to him. I can tell you this for a fact, Jack. He will not want you to watch stuff that's ungodly. So the the one way that he moves to get you off of the plan of God for your life is to get you to follow rabbit trails. God's plan for your life, God's plan for your life is to use you. God's plan for your life is to use you. How many of you know, I I brought up this passage about Joseph, whenever Joseph was sold into slavery and his brother sold, how many of you know he could have easily, Easily followed that rabbit trail of hating his brothers. And would he not have missed that plan of God? He would have missed it big time. Bitterness. Bitterness will disqualify you from the plan. Bitterness will disqualify you from the plan. How do you not grow bitter? Keep your eyes on him. How can you grow bitter knowing what he went through? What did we go through? With the Bible, one of my favorite chapters is Hebrews chapter 12. And in Hebrews chapter 12, one of, the, one of my favorite passages is, consider him who endured what? Such contradiction in himself. What is that? God bearing our sins. That contradiction we will sing about for all of eternity. That's more of a contradiction in one sentence than we'll we'll be singing about it for all of time. Till there is no more time, we'll be singing about the lamb that was slain. That contradiction, consider what he went through and it will change your outlook. You know, one of the, we we were, we've talked in the past about, um, you know, whenever I was a kid, uh, Sister Kim reminded me of this this week. Whenever I was a kid, we used to get chickens and we would draw lines in the dirt and hold their head to it and it would hypnotize them. I don't know if you've ever seen that before. It's amazing. Well, I had this one rooster that would always pick on me. And I'm not going to say who, but somebody taught me to do this. And I and I finally got up, you know, enough bravery and I grabbed that chicken by the head and I drew that line on the dirt and held his head and he stayed right there. I mean, he stayed right there. And I kicked him so hard. You know what I did? He was distracted. He was distracted and he never saw the kick coming. And when you allow the enemy to when you allow the enemy to distract you, you will never see his kick coming. You will be totally oblivious to the fact he's setting you up. You start watching things you shouldn't watch, listening to things you shouldn't listen to. Doesn't matter how you know innocent it seems at the beginning. If it's not God, it's not God. And the devil will do anything to get you to fix on anything that's not God. He'll get you to focus on country music or something. I don't know. He'll get you to focus on anything that's not God. And I'm not picking on, I mean, he'll get you to focus on anything. But that distraction in your life, if you allow the enemy to distract you, you won't see the kick coming, okay? The second thing is the purpose of God for your life. The purpose of God for your life is to glorify God. Your purpose in life is to glorify God, to believe him. When you believe him, you are glorifying God. The chief end of man is to glorify God. Will you trade your heavenly calling to pursue worldly things? How many people have traded the purpose of God for their life and they've traded it for worldly things? If God has given you the ability to be a painter, be a painter to the glory of God. If God has given you the ability to be a singer, sing to the glory of God. If God has given you the ability to be a bricklayer, lay bricks to the glory of God. Whatever God has given you to do, do it for God. Do it for his name's sake. Do it to further his kingdom. You're not around people that work by happenstance. You're not there just to be there. You're not there occupying time. You're there because God placed you there. God has a purpose for your life. Don't exchange the divine purpose for your life for a worldly thing. The people that are your family members, you might wish they weren't, but God made them your family members for a reason. Because you might be able to speak into their life. You're going to be around them more than others will. You're going to be around them to the point where you can tell them, don't give up. God still loves you. God hasn't given up on you. If you don't give up on you, remember, God didn't give up on you. And you can tell them, you see, the things in our lives are there for a purpose. Think about this. Keep going back to Joseph. Whenever Joseph was accused of attempted rape of Potiphar's wife and he was thrown in prison, y'all remember there was a couple of people there, right? One of the things that I want you to see is that if Joseph would have exchanged his purpose in life for a worldly cause when he was in prison, you know what he would have been doing? He would have been saying, find me a lawyer. I didn't do it. Da-da-da-da-da-da-da. This isn't fair. This is unjust. We're going to lead a revolution out of this place. Da-da-da. He would have been focused on everything else except for God's purpose. But the fact that he trusted God in his situation gave him peace. And he knew God's purpose. And you know what? When he was in that prison cell, he was able to minister to those other people. You know what? You may not be where you want to be. But God may have you there for a purpose. Don't exchange the divine purpose for the worldly cause. Things... I don't know anybody in life who is where they want to be. The fact that you're in the flesh, you're always going to have a headache. You're always going to have another bill to pay. You're always going to have something going on. Nobody's got it all together. Everybody wishes it could be different. And the enemy's job is to distract you and to move you off of your purpose. Your purpose in life is to glorify God where you are. So don't exchange that divine purpose for a worldly cause. Last one is God's peace. The enemy comes to steal the peace that God has for you. See, the darts that the enemy has, they will cause you to doubt. They will cause you to doubt your salvation. They will cause you to doubt the fact that God loves you. They will cause you to doubt the fact that God knows where you are right now. How many of you know Jesus said, Jesus said, red letters, right? Not a sparrow falls from the heaven to the ground without God knowing about it. He said, how much more worth are you than a sparrow? God knows the very number of hairs of our heads. He said it 2,000 years ago, but do you believe it today? Do you believe that God is so intimately aware of your life that he is aware of how many hairs are on your head? Do you believe that? Because I assure you, if he knows how many hairs are on your head, he knows how many bills are coming in. He knows how many people are trying to kill your joy. He knows how many issues you've got going on. Amen? But the enemy is bringing in these fiery darts to get you to doubt your salvation, to get you to doubt that God loves you, to get you to doubt that God even cares. Another another fiery dart is he gets you to doubt that God answers prayer. But the shield of faith that says quenches, do y'all remember how many of the fiery darts it quenches? It wasn't one out of 10. It wasn't about half of them. It wasn't nine out of 10. It was 10 out of 10. If you'll take up the shield of faith, the Bible says it will quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Quenching. How many of you know when something has been quenched it has no more power. Some of you just got a revelation on quenching the spirit. Because when these fiery darts are quenched, they're put out. Boom. What if the fiery darts hit me? What you going to do? How many of you know that we're not perfect? Sometimes we allow our defenses down. Sometimes we go down the wrong road. Some of us have been down the wrong road longer than others. But God's mercy and grace is sufficient. So what do we do if we've been hit by the fiery darts? What do we do if we've been hit by the fiery darts? Well, let me tell you a story. Let's go over to Numbers 21. We'll close right here. in Numbers 21. Let me tell you a story over here. We're talking about fiery darts. And I'm going to tell you about fiery serpents. Numbers 21, beginning in verse number 6. It says, the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and much people of Israel died. What you have in this is when people had gotten distracted from God's promise, they began to get disgruntled. They began to get disgruntled. God got angry and sent fiery serpents. So we're going to liken the fiery serpents to the fiery darts. The fiery darts will come to, uh, the, the fiery darts will come and destroy you. And these fiery serpents came and everyone that they bit died. Everyone. So, whenever this is going on, verse number seven, it says, The people came to Moses and said, We have sinned. So, my first. Charge to you would be confess it to God. Tell God you've messed up. If you're getting hit by those fiery darts, if you're getting wounded, if you're getting distracted, if you're getting, you know, if you're missing the mark, confess it to God. So they sent, they said, We have sinned, for we've spoken against the Lord and against thee. Pray unto the Lord that He take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent, set it upon a pole, and it shall come to pass that everyone that is bitten, when he looketh upon it, shall live. Now, you may or may not know this, but in John chapter number 3, Jesus said, As Moses lifted up that serpent in the desert, so shall the son of man be lifted up that whosoever looks upon him will live. In the same manner that these Old Testament folks got bit by those fiery serpents, their cure was to confess and look up on that pole. Our cure is the same on this side of the cross. Confess it to Jesus and get your eyes back upon that cross. Get your eyes back upon Jesus, and faith will begin to rise once again when you see that everything that is needed in your life is made available to you at the cross. That it is at the cross that your sins are paid for. It's at the cross that God's mercy is made available to you. It's at the cross that grace is made available to you. It is at the cross where you find that God loves you. It is at the cross where you'll become a child of God. It is at the cross where you'll find your eternal inheritance. It is at the cross where you'll find peace for your soul. It is at the cross where you'll find rest for your weariness. It is at the cross where God meets his people. Our access to God is at the cross. And if we'll confess our sins and look back upon that old rugged cross, God will restore your soul. God will restore the joy in your life. God will give you new vision for your life. You'll find your purpose in life and you'll find peace that passes all understanding right there. Right there, nowhere else, but right there. And the devil wants you to look at anything and everything but that. And I'm here to tell you this morning, take up the shield of faith, look unto Jesus, and don't let the enemy distract you. Amen? Father, we bless your holy name this morning. Lord, we thank you for the cross of Calvary today.